0: well good morning again everybody it's great to see you this morning welcome to community church we're so glad that you're here hope you had a great week in the lord i hope it was uh, really a blessed week i know it's starting to warm up a little bit but summer's here and uh, i am glad for that mother's day is kind of the unofficial start of summer and i'm super glad to have warmer weather here But this morning, we're going to be finishing up chapter 17 in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 20 through 37. So Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. And this is really a fascinating passage of Scripture. It's a very important portion of Scripture because just as Christ has already given us a quote, glimpse beyond the grave back in Luke chapter 16, right, where he showed us the final destination of those who are believers versus those who have rejected Christ. Well, here in our passage of scripture this morning, he's going to sort of give us a glimpse of the coming kingdom, if you will. Okay, he's going to give us a look into the future before the final judgment, which is called the great white throne judgment so this passage that we're going to be in this morning is an eschatological passage okay that's just a 10 cent word it comes from the greek word eschatos which means last or farthest okay meaning that this pertains to last or final things you and i are more familiar with calling it the end times and so that's sort of the context of our passage and you know, I'll just tell you right at the outset that Christians all throughout history have had disagreements on this topic, okay? There have been great scholars throughout the years on almost every side of this issue from almost every perspective, okay? And so I fully admit right here at the outset that my view could be wrong, okay? That's possible. My intention this morning is not to do a thorough, in-depth study Uh, of eschatology or the study of end times. Maybe one day, maybe we will do that, Um, but I'm not gonna be explaining every view, for example, that's out there in regard to eschatology this morning because I think this is a secondary issue and as is the case with most secondary issues, what we believe about the end times is not critical to the gospel, okay? That is a main thing. The gospel is a primary issue. The deity of Christ is a primary issue. We must have unity there. However, in the secondary issues of eschatology and the gifts of the spirit or things like that, we have room for disagreement, of course, without being disagreeable, right? We can still fellowship together. Even if we see these things a little differently, we can still be friends, all right? Because when the Lord returns when he returns and when he will set up his kingdom is not the critical point of doctrine here i mean and well-meaning and well-studied well-educated believers all throughout history have disagreed on that okay but what is a very critical point of doctrine is that christ will return okay he will return so it's not the when but the fact that he will Okay, and all Christians agree on that. Jesus is coming, and I personally believe when he returns, he will set up his kingdom on earth and reign for a thousand years. We see this in Revelation chapter 19 verses 4 through 6, but one of the things that we're going to learn here in our passage this morning that should help us, I think, formulate our view of the end times, and by the way, this is one of Personally, one of the reasons that I hold to what is called a pre-tribulationist view of the end times, in other words, I hold to a futurist view of the end times versus a preterist view or a past view. In other words, I don't think most of Revelation has already happened. I think it's going to happen. Okay, so I take a futurist view here. And one of the reasons I take that view aside from Scripture Uh, But I actually sort of take it from Scripture is that humanity, the world that we live in, is not going to improve over time. Okay, it's going to continually get worse. As we go into the future, humanity will continue to get worse, right? According to Jesus, okay, and this is where we see it in Scripture, humanity will increasingly be reverting back to its old ways. Okay, meaning our world will continue. year after year to devolve into greater and greater debauchery, right? Until we find ourselves under the divine judgment of God. In other words, things are not going to get better here, okay? They're going to get worse. Humanity will not evolve. It will not improve. Yes, technology will continue to increase, absolutely. But the morality of our humanity will continue to decrease with time. Okay, so the events that we're going to see Christ describe here in our passage today, again, at least as I see it, will be pertaining to the great tribulation, followed by Christ's second coming, when he will return to the earth to set up his kingdom, to rule and reign in his millennial kingdom, right, on earth for a thousand years. Now, as this pertains to a, quote, pre-tribulationist eschatology, Okay, and by the way, again, I'll just tell you again quickly, one of my friends one time said that, you know, brother, you're so pre-trib, you're so pre-mill that you don't even eat (laughs) post-toasties. And I said, well, that's a fair assessment. (laughs) I I don't disagree with that. Okay, so just know what you're getting with me. Okay, that's the point of view that I'm coming from, not because I want it to be in the text, but, but because that's what I see the text teaching. Okay, we'll get into some of that. But this view of the last things, this view of the end times, teaches us that the great tribulation is going to take place after the rapture of the church. That's according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And then afterward, or after the seven-year tribulation, rather, will be the return of Christ, meaning his second advent, his second coming, followed by the great white throne judgment. So this is a futuristic point of view in regard to the events described in Revelation chapter five through Revelation chapter 20, okay? So that sort of gives you the context of where we're gonna to be today. So again, would you pray with me quickly and then we'll get into the text. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful time of worship that you've given to us. Thank you for your church that's gathered here. Lord, I thank you for the word that's before us. It's eternal. It's been settled in heaven. That's what you tell us in your word. So I pray that you would give us a right understanding of it. Lord, we don't want to mistreat it, misuse it. We don't want to try to make it say something that it's not saying. We just want to understand what it says. So would you guide us into all truth as we look into your word this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 20, reads like this. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Verse 25. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse thirty. Even so will it be uh, when the Son of Man in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Excuse me. Verse thirty-one. In that day, he who is on the housetop. And his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken And the other left, verse 37. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. All right. So, again, quite a portion of scripture we have before us this morning. And by the way, Matthew 24 is a great passage to compare this with. If you would like to do further study, uh, go to Matthew chapter 24 and cross reference there. But the discussion about the coming kingdom begins like this in verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Okay, so the the Pharisees, obviously being Jewish, right, they would have been hoping for, they would have been looking for this future kingdom, okay, that would bring with it power and authority. They they were looking for national and political and religious power. That was their perspective, okay? They wanted another Moses who would lead them out of bondage, right, and into their freedom. So yes, they were looking for a Messiah, but as Christ is speaking to them, he reminds them that, look, y'all have closed your eyes, as it were, to the spiritual freedom that you could have from the bondage of your sins. Okay, in other words, they couldn't see, they could not observe who Christ really was, right? Christ is the King, the Messiah who had come to set the spiritually captive free. Something that they themselves, by the way, had completely refused to see. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the point that Jesus is making here to the Pharisees is that the coming kingdom of God is not outwardly observed. It's inwardly received. Verse 21 nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. All right, exactly right. Now, I don't know what your translation says, but a more accurate translation of the word within in verse 21 would be among you or in the midst of you, right? Because of course, Christ is not saying that the kingdom of God dwells within those who are lost and do not know him. That would not make any sense at all. And so when you do a word study, you find out that within is really among or in the midst of, right? The Pharisees, in other words, let me put it to you like this. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom is wherever the king is. Okay, that's where the kingdom is. And the Pharisees couldn't see the Christ that was right in front of them because their hearts were hard within them, right? They had closed their eyes. And of course, the kingdom of the Pharisees, they were looking for a physical kingdom right? However, the kingdom of God in its present form was very spiritual. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Christ had performed all the miracles, right? He had taught in their synagogues. He had forgiven sin. He had taught in the crowds. He had walked among them. He had upheld and fulfilled the law. He had fulfilled all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah that we see in the word of God. Right? And so all of those who had closed their eyes had missed the evidence right in front of them. Something they could have clearly seen or observed. Right? I mean, Christ had all the credentials. He, he had all of the credentials. But again, only those who had ears to hear, only those who had eyes to see were the ones that were pressing in to the kingdom according to Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, right? So maybe a good question for the Pharisees of that day would have been, look, why are y'all so worried about the coming kingdom while at the same time rejecting its king? Because only those who receive Christ are gonna enter into his kingdom, right? So in a sense, the Pharisees couldn't see the forest for the trees, right? They were looking forward to a, a physical future, a physical kingdom that was actually and presently right in front of them, but could only be entered into by faith, right? Not by force, not by force, by faith. Yes, Christ will come again and he will conquer. He will set all things right. But first, he must accomplish his father's will. And we see that again in verse 25. But moving on to verse 22. Then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Right, so Christ spoke of the kingdom in the present tense when he was addressing the Pharisees. Right, because they need to recognize Christ as the king. That's what they needed to do. Okay. But uh, when he talked to his disciples, he would speak in the present tense, right? Uh, because they, they, had the, they recognized Christ as king. They knew uh, soon that the king would be leaving. He's been setting them up for that, right? He's gonna leave for a time. But in reality, the disciples didn't really know how good that they had it. So at this point, um, Christ is, is setting them up for what is to come, okay? Christ is gonna be leaving them for a short time, they will see him again after the resurrection. But mainly what he's referring to here is the time when he comes and sets up his future kingdom, okay, his second coming. And so I may have misspoke. He spoke to the Pharisees in the future uh, or the present tense, but he spoke to his disciples in the future tense, okay? And that, that's important that we understand that when he, when he speaks of his kingdom. But what, what's happening until Christ comes again is that not just the disciples, But all of creation groans to be made new, right? All of creation knows that something's off. Something's wrong, okay? As believers, we understand that we've been broken by our sin. We've been redeemed by Christ through his blood. And so we long for the return of Christ. We want to be with him. Paul said it like this in Romans 8, 22 through 25. He said, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves, meaning we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. Even believers, we groan ourselves within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that's not seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees, right? But we hope for what we do not see, and we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That's what Paul said. Amen. So the kingdom has arrived in its spiritual form. And as believers, we have obtained the first fruits of the spirit. Right. And our spirit, along with all of creation, eagerly waits for the kingdom to arrive in its physical form. Right. When Christ returns in all of his glory, in all of his power, that's what we're waiting for. But until then, verse 23, they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. Exactly right. Guys, we are waiting, right? We're not looking. We know who our king is. We know who Christ is. So we're waiting for him, right? Remember, when Christ came the first time, he came to that little town called Bethlehem, right? And the only ones who came to, quote, look for him initially were those whom the Lord had announced his birth and location to, right? The shepherds, the wise men and so on. However, when he comes again, when he returns again, there's not going to be any need to look here or to look there, right? Because when Christ comes in all of his glory, he will come for all to see. That's Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Every eye will see him. That's what the word says. So there's not going to be any doubt who Christ is. There's not going to be any doubt where Christ is when he returns. Therefore, we don't have to fall for all of these false alarms out there or go looking for all of these false Christs, right? Look, Christ, when he returns, he's not going to come to set up some weird little obscure cult somewhere. No. When Christ returns, it's going to be historically monumental. And every eye will see it. And though it's going to be a huge surprise to most people, it will not be a secret. Verse 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in that day. Guys, I don't know if you sat outside and watched a thunderstorm at all, but it is impossible to miss a bolt of lightning that streaks across the sky, isn't it? I mean, it's awesome. It's so powerful. It's so majestic and it lights up the heavens. And so what Christ is saying is that when he comes, when he returns, right, it's going to be just as obvious. It's going to be just as noticeable. It's going to be just as recognizable as a flashing bolt of lightning that's burning through the clouds in the sky and illuminating the entire sky. In other words, there will be no need for guesswork. Okay, we're not going to have to guess. There's not going to be a look here or look there right? No, the light of the world, if you will, will be bright enough for all the world to clearly see, right? So the return of Christ will be such that it will be obvious and it will be unmistakable. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Yeah, so first things first, because step one here in God's redemptive plan for human history is that Christ be rejected. Okay, Christ must suffer the cross for all of humanity, for you and me to have any hope of salvation whatsoever. Right. I mean, the purpose of Christ's first advent was to come and conquer the hearts of humanity. Right. But let there be no doubt. At his second coming, at the second advent of Christ, he will set up his kingdom and he will rule and he will reign on earth very literally. Right. But his desire for you and me is that first he reigns in our hearts. okay, spiritually. okay, And so his suffering, his rejection, his cross is what makes all of that possible. okay. You see, Christ wants to capture the heart of humanity through his cross before he returns to set all things right within his creation. I want you to notice the words in verse 25 must and suffer many rejected right these these are all a part of the father's plan for his son this has always been the plan the cross has never been plan b right and we've seen this all throughout history we read it all throughout the scriptures in fact we have a picture of christ as seen in the life of noah among many other places right but not only that not only the story of noah does it give us a picture of christ and it clearly does the the story of noah gives us a look into the future of humanity at christ's return it's really fascinating verse 26 and as it was in the days of noah so it will be also in the days of the son of man now you guys remember the story right some of you of a certain age like me might even remember uh, doing the story of noah on a flannel graph and And children's church or sunday school or whatever but we've all heard the story of noah right the sin of humanity had so frustrated god that he destroyed the entire earth with a flood okay that's genesis chapters six through eight now of course everybody was warned about that for many years ahead of time but essentially nobody listened right only eight were saved noah and his family and all of the rest of humanity had to suffer the judgment of God by perishing in that flood, right? Only those who were in the boat, only those who were in the ark were saved from judgment, okay? So the ark is a picture of Christ. And if you'd like to do a further study on that, see 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. But so it is today, okay? Only those who are in Christ by grace through faith, will be saved from the coming judgment of God, right? So the warning is, y'all, don't be like the Pharisees of Christ's day. Don't be like the people of Noah's day, right? Do not close your eyes to what's happening around you in this world, right? History is in the process of repeating itself, okay? So don't let your ears become deaf to the preaching of God's holy word. Don't let yourself become comfortable Don't let yourself be lulled to sleep. Don't dull your senses. Don't let anything in this world capture your attention because one day God is going to shut the door on the boat. And when he does, it's going to start raining, right? Not in the form of a flood this time. Of course not. He's already promised not to flood the earth again. But this time it will be in the form of the great tribulation. Folks, judgment is coming. It's time to get on the boat. It's time to get your life right with the Lord Jesus Christ and be spared from the coming judgment of God. Verse 27, they ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it's like I've said many times before, guys, too many people live like the Lord ain't coming. Too many people Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking, right? We all do that. We must sustain life, okay? There's nothing wrong with marriage. That's, in fact, God's idea. He invented it, right? So it's a good idea. And God himself even said it's not good that man should be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So the point that Christ is making is is this. He's saying, guys, living your life without any thought or concern whatsoever of your eternal soul is a massive mistake, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32 says, if in the manner of men, i fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? Listen to this. If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? That's Isaiah twenty-two thirteen that Paul's quoting from there. That's exactly right. I mean, if there is no judgment coming, if there is no life after death, then what's the big deal? What's the big whoop, right? Let's just all live it up until they toss us in the grave. But sadly, that's the approach humanity has almost always taken. Most of humanity has always taken, and they will, by the way, continue to take until judgment shows up to them very unexpected. So Christ is saying, do not be like that, right? Don't be like most of humanity. Come out from among them and be separate, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, right? The writer of Hebrews warns us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed for men to die once, after this, the judgment. In other words, live like Christ is coming, Right. Live like that because he is coming. And when he comes, he's going to bring judgment with him. So live accordingly. Verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and they built. So we notice something interesting here. We see the advancement of society here. Right. They advanced at this point in history. There was about 400 years between Noah and Abraham. And of course, Lot was Abraham's nephew. Okay, so by now they weren't just eating and drinking and marrying. They were doing business. They were building buildings. Right. Think about that. Man has always tried to achieve some kind of heaven on earth, some kind of utopia. Right. Some kind of betterment through their own will, through their own means, right? By propping up their own prosperity, by propping up our own pleasure as our God, right? We're trying to find heaven on earth. So this is just business as usual here by the time we get to Lot. But just like in Noah's story, we see both salvation and judgment, okay? We also see that in the story of Lot. I mean, people ignored reality, they ignored the truth of God. They ignored the judgment that was coming. And what they did was they allowed themselves to just continue on in their self absorbed lifestyles, right? And may I add, their increasingly sinful and base lifestyles, right? Because we see this all throughout history. We see it repeated time and time again. Any culture during any time that has ever rejected God and run from his truth, it has not taken them very long to get to the bottom. All right, and what I mean is this, once a society props up pleasure and comfort and prosperity as their God, self-gratification, once they do that, they're not far at all from absolute ruin. We've seen it happen over and over. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says it like this, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And then check this out. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked, right? So the key is to avoid conception right do not let sin take root in your heart right because once it does you're going to give birth to a sin baby it will happen and it will cause death so we have to avoid that conception of letting sin take root in our heart being led away and enticed drawn away by our own desires that cannot take root right Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's how we prevent that from happening. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Verse 29. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Yeah, so just like when rain fell, right? Meaning judgment came when God had closed the door of the ark, judgment came to Sodom and Gomorrah that morning. Did you know that? The very morning when Lot and his wife and his two daughters left town, that very morning, judgment came. Genesis 19, 23. But God in his mercy saves his people from judgment, okay? That's one of the things we're learning here. So this assures us that, you know what? God's going to remove his church from the earth by the rapture before God brings judgment to the earth by the tribulation, okay? For God did not appoint us to wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And the tribulation will precede the second coming of Christ to the earth. That's Matthew 24, 29 through 30. But when the church is removed, okay, when we have been raptured, thereby also removing the Holy Spirit, right? There's not going to be any more restraining power left on this earth. And it will literally become hell on earth right at least three and a half years into a seven year long tribulation so what we're learning here is that life is going to seem so good to so many people who do not know christ until it's not so the time to get right with god is now verse 30 even so will it be in the day when the son of man is revealed Yeah, so verses 30 through 36 are really a brief description of what we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, all the way through chapter 20, verse 6, okay? This is what we know as the Great Tribulation. And um, these verses focus on the latter part, okay? Uh, The return and the reign of Christ and so on. But we need to learn from our history. We need to heed the warnings of Christ all of humanity is marching headlong into eternity, okay? And we're doing so with our eyes on the temporal, right? It's sort of like we're, we're all driving down the road while staring at our phones, completely unaware that we veered off into the other lane and we don't even know what's coming. We don't even know the danger that's ahead, right? Our culture is ignoring the inevitable, in the church, what we should be is the watchman on the wall, right? We need to be the ones who are sounding the warning here. We shouldn't be the ones who are trying so hard to fight and fit in with a society that increasingly hates God, right? No. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or the things of the world, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Amen. We're not isolationists, right? We're not to get away from the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. Okay, that's the deal here. We can't love it, but we must go into it and sound the alarm. Christ is coming. Tribulation is coming. Judgment is coming, right? So please don't let your comfort, don't let your prosperity or even your pleasure entice you to ride this wave of the culture that's around you right now, because it will sink you. It will sink you. You do not have to go down with the culture. No, rather stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get right with God and proclaim that truth to your neighbor, to your family, to this community, right? Be courageous. Stop blending in and bowing down to the culture. Our world needs to be warned, not catered to or capitulated to. No, Christ is coming, so we must make ready. Verse 31, in that day, he who was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Yeah, so the way that we might say this is don't run back into that burning building. Okay? Don't do that. Do not place so much value on the things of this world that they will make you run headlong into judgment. No. No. Christ actually refers to this time as the tribulation in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. This is going to be bad. In fact, he says something very succinctly, but very profoundly in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Hmm. Man, what better example is there of a heart that is longing for this world than Lot's wife? You know, Lot's wife longed for Sodom. She looked back. Right? In other words, her eyes took her back to the place where her heart still was, back in Sodom, right? And as a result, she perished, of course, into a pillar of salt. So I guess it's kind of like they always say, right? You can take the wife out of Sodom, but you can't take the Sodom out of the wife. Amen, fellas? <laughs> Probably shouldn't have told that joke on Mother's Day. But... <laughs> But where are my eyes, right? Where are my eyes? Where is my heart? Where have I anchored my soul? In Luke chapter nine, verse 62, Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Hmm. We need to let that sink in. Verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Yeah, so Lot left his old life and followed God and lived, okay? But Lot's wife, however, she longed for her old life and she died. You see, God's mercy, look at this, God's mercy brought both of them out of the city, but he gave them a choice, didn't he? God said, don't look back. Literally, don't look behind you. Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. Of course, Lot obeyed that command. So what was the result? Well, Lot lost everything that he had in Sodom, but he gained everything in God. God preserved his life. However, the result of Lot's wife's decision is much different, right? She disobeyed. She wanted to hang on to her old life. She couldn't let go of her old life and that cost her everything, including her life. You see the difference? So what is it that I'm hanging on to? What is that thing that I'm absolutely unwilling to part with in order to gain Christ? Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Fantastic question. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words In this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. You see what's going on here with humanity? Guys, we've got to stop gambling with our eternity. We've got to stop stop gambling with our soul and surrender our life completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 34, I tell you, And that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken the other left. Now, hopefully in your translation, in the next three verses here, where you see the word men or women or men in regard to the number that are taken, hopefully that's italicized. That was added later for clarity. That's not in the original text. So this verse could read and should read literally like this. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Okay, now a lot of people will take what Christ is saying in verses 34 through 36 as reference to the rapture. Okay? But let's think about this. If Christ is referring to his second coming in this passage, and he is, see Matthew 24 for cross-reference, and... If the tribulation will precede his second coming, and it will, and if the rapture will precede the tribulation, then, of course, this cannot be a reference to the rapture, right? It will have already happened, okay? So if that's the case, and again, I believe that it is, then those who are taken here are the ones who will be taken away into judgment at the time of Christ's return, leaving those on earth those believers on earth to enter into his millennial reign into his millennial kingdom on earth right so the lord's return will on the one hand bring much joy much jubilation right our king has come amen but on the other hand his coming is going to bring a great separation to those who have because of their own unrepentant sin separated themselves from god right Those people are going to be separated eternally from God, by God, for judgment. Okay, so the one taken here represents the one that will be taken away in judgment. However, the other one, the believer, will be the one who is left to enjoy the blessings of the millennial kingdom. Verse 35, two women, or literally two, will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Again, so the same applies here, right? The unbeliever is going to be taken away in judgment. The believer will be left to remain with Christ in his kingdom, verse 36, six, two will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left, right? So one's going to be left to serve Christ in his kingdom for a thousand years. The other is going to be taken away from Christ to suffer the wrath of God for eternity, all of eternity. So don't lose sight of the eternal perspective here, okay? Once folks are taken they're not coming back. We learned this in our study of the rich man as well, right? No one's getting sent back to warn us, so we need to heed the warning now. Now I'm going to give you a little side note here. Um, There's no extra charge for this. It's just something that I thought you might want to know. Uh, It might be interesting to some of you. I don't know, Um, but some of us have had some interesting conversations out on the old pickleball court recently. There have been some folks that have come up and asked us whether or not the earth is round or flat. And I've never struggled with that. I've been like, it seems round, right? I mean, um, but you know what? If you get in the rabbit hole, if you go down these rabbit holes, uh, there's enough information out there to get people confused. And so there are passages that I think clearly speak to this subject. Okay, we can get our answer from scripture. I think the earth is round. I think it's a sphere, right? Psalm 19, verse 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 would speak to that fact, okay? But I also think we see a good indication from Scripture here that tells us something that science didn't come up with or identify for many years later. And that, of course, is that the earth is round. Where am I getting that? How do we know that? Well, in verse 34, right, when this time of separation comes, right, from the believers and the non believers, it's night time. That's verse 34. There's only one time that's coming to judge all of these times, right? So separation is not going to come here, there, no. Judgment comes at one time, and in verse 34, we see that it's night. While at the same time, in verse 36, there are people who are working out in the field. Now, you only work out in the field during the daytime, don't you? Right? You don't work at night. No. So what I'm saying is, they're on one side of the earth, it's daylight. On the other side of the earth, it's nighttime. Do with that what you want. Okay? That's not the most important thing that I want you to hear today, okay? One of the most important takeaways I want you to get is that The entire world, the entire world is going to come under judgment. Okay, so no one is going to be exempt. Verse 37, and then we're done. And they answered and said to him, where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Yeah. So hearing Christ describe this coming judgment, uh, his disciples naturally wonder, "Okay, Lord, where's all this going to go down? You know, where should we expect this, right? And so if you compare this passage with, say, Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 through 21, then what Christ could be referencing here in verse 37 is the battle of Armageddon. That's one possibility. That's the final battle that's going to end all battles when Christ returns to the earth. But as William MacDonald points out, Christ could also be saying That judgment will just simply be swooping down on every form of unbelief and rebellion against God, no matter where it can be found, okay? And I think in context, that seems very plausible to me, personally. However, I do think both of those things can be true at the same time, okay? So I'm not going to mince words there. But whether belief, excuse me, whether unbelief is found in the bed of a sleeping sinner, right? At night, whether unbelief is found at the mill when two are grinding, whether unbelief is found in the field during the day, it doesn't matter because justice will be served. So what are we learning? We're learning that there's not going to be any hiding at home Safe and secluded in my own self-absorption when judgment comes. No, there's not going to be any workaholic out there finding pleasure in the work of their hands when judgment comes. There's not going to be any adventurist out there who's finding peace out in the freedom of the field or out on the trail. No, judgment will come and it will find me wherever I am. Wherever I am. And it will remove me from whatever it is that I'm doing. Guys, the stuff of earth Cannot save my soul. It cannot save my soul. So, whatever it is that has so captured my heart and kept me from Christ needs to go away now. It needs to go away today before Christ returns and takes me away in judgment. Guys, Christ is dealing with the reality of unbelievers during the Great Tribulation. Okay? And I get it, specifically and particularly Israel. God's not done with Israel, all right? But those of us who have turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus Christ by faith for salvation will not be around during this time. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13, all the way in through uh, chapter 5, verse 11. For us, for those who know and love and follow Christ today, we're going to be caught up. The word says before those in judgment are taken away. OK, and of course, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Matthew 24, 36. Therefore, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, you also be ready. You also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hmm. But let me tell you something we do know. Neither are we as believers going to be in darkness so that this day should overtake us as a thief. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. We know the climate of our culture. We know the season we're in. We know the day of the Lord is coming. We don't know when, but we know it's certain. We believe in the imminent and soon and sure return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And so all that to say, Guys, Christ is coming, and he's warned us about this. So I have to ask myself, am I ready? Am I ready for Christ to come? And honestly, regardless of your view of eschatology, okay, it doesn't matter. Here's what we know. We're closer to the return of Christ right now than we've ever been. How much more like the days of Noah can it get? How much more like the days of Lot can it get before Christ returns? So please ask yourself a very real and a very honest question this morning. Am I ready for the return of Christ, right? Where will I be the day the Son of Man is revealed? We love you, Lord, and thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning that you've given to us, Lord. You have come and you're coming again. And we know that. We have assurance of that because you have been risen from the dead. And so, Lord, we understand that if the dead don't rise, what's the big deal? It doesn't matter. Let's just live it up for tomorrow we die. Oh, but you are risen and all of those who are in Christ will be risen. There is an eternity that awaits beyond the grave for each and every soul. There is a physical resurrection of the dead for all of us, some of us to eternal life and some of us to eternal death. So where will I be when the Son of Man is revealed? Will I be in Christ, safe and secure from the wrath of God? Or will I be taken away in judgment to suffer it on my own in a place called hell for all of eternity? Lord, would you help all of us to deal with that question today? What would it profit if a man gained the whole world and lost his soul? There's no profit in that. So help us to be like Lot, to leave the old life behind and run to Jesus Christ and never look back. You've given us a way home through your cross. You suffered the holy wrath of the Father. You suffered the punishment of our sin on that cross so that we could be set free. You came to set the captives free. and our hearts, our soul can be set free in Christ when we repent of our sins and trust in you by faith. If anyone hearing this message today has never done that, I pray that you would do that now that you would trust in Christ even now. For those of us who do believe, the hour's late. So help us to get busy about our Father's business. Lord, would you help us to get busy being the church that you called us to be. Help us to get Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, into this community. Lord, we want to partner with other Bible-believing churches in sharing the light of the gospel to this community. Would you help us to do that? Help us to be faithful in our own walk. Help us to take that next step of faith. Maybe we've been lackadaisical in our devotions. Maybe we haven't prayed like we should. Maybe we don't fast anymore. Maybe we haven't shared the gospel with somebody in a while. Help us to get busy doing what it is you've called us to do. To be the church you want us to be so that we are ready for your return, that there's jubilation at the coming of our King. There's no regret, no remorse, no sadness, only joy. And so Lord, as you command us to do at the end of the book of Revelation, we say come. You say the spirit and the bride say come. And the church is the bride of Christ. And so together with your spirit, we say come. Come, Lord Jesus, come and set all things right. Come and take your church home so that we can enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb and come to rule and reign with you for a thousand years on this earth. Lord, all of creation groans including the believers who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan along with your creation that you would come and set all things right. But until you do, help us to get our own heart right with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.